1: Hey, everyone. This is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to be joined by Sam Brownell of CU Collaborate. Sam, how are you doing today?
0: Doing well, thank you.
1: Glad to hear it. Now, Sam, the co-founder and CEO of CU Collaborate. I know you've got some other things that you're heavily involved in as well, but today we're going to focus a little bit on CU Collaborate and the things that you have going on there. You want to give maybe a quick kind of summary of CU Collaborate and your journey to CU Collaborate, and we can kind of go from there?
0: Yeah. So, probably easiest for me to start with my journey to CU Collaborate. So, started working at Callahan Associates straight out of college, worked there for six years, started as an intern, ended in charge of sort of sales, account management, product development. Left eight and a half years ago to start CU Collaborate. If I'm being entirely honest, I would say for like The first five years, the easiest way for me to describe it, if I went on Shark Tank during the first five years and I was like pitching them on investing in Steve Laborate, they would I don't know if you've seen the show before, but it was a hobby, not a business. AKA wasn't making real money or doing much. I was like really what I found out was making products essentially. If I'm again being completely honest, I was in a very comfortable good career trajectory at Callahan Associates i think i was too afraid of getting feedback from the market that i might have made a mistake on going out on my own so didn't really try selling the services i'd made in earnest for about 5 years and then honestly again what happened was my wife got pregnant with twins and then making money became imperative for my family. So then tried selling stuff and lo and behold, we'd sort of made the basis for, if I was starting a company correctly, probably like really three different companies, which is why it is so difficult for me to describe what we do concisely. But I'd really say we're sort of a challenger consultancy that is evolving into sort of hybrid consultancy and software as a service provider. So we help credit unions. I like to say ultimately, like help credit unions beat banks or help credit unions maximize the impact they have on their, the communities they serve and their members they serve as well.
1: That's a great mission. That's a great cause. It's interesting kind of hearing the journey that you took and you signed 33 years at NCUA, right? 33 and a half years to be more precise, but there were a couple of times during that journey where I thought of actually going out and working at credit unions, I had some opportunities to do it and I just couldn't take the jump and I had the silver handcuff of the pension and things like that. And so now, you know, on the other side of that rainbow after having left NCUA and and being able to do some entrepreneurial things, I could see how you can kind of put your toe in over here. But yeah, the reality of of having a child that brings that cash flow thing immediately.
0: Cash flow became important. The other thing I would say is like I would not wish bootstrapping a business on anyone else. I will never do it again. But it's also like such a learning experience. What I learned was everything not to do, basically, because I did everything I shouldn't have done. But yeah, now in the last three and a half years, things have really taken off. I think like three and a half years ago, we were probably like three employees. And I think now we're right around 60.
1: Yeah. Every time I see... Something on LinkedIn it says you're hiring again. So that's actually Yeah,
0: it's been a whirlwind. It's much better kind of stress, but still stressful, you know, like being able to make payroll was the stress before. Now the stress is being able to meet obligations and put the foundation for the continued growth of that we're seeing. But
1: and so I first became aware either just before I retired or just after. I had lunch with a mutual friend we have, Bob Fenner. And I think Bob does some work with you, and Bob and I have had some mutual clients that he's still out there. For those listeners who don't know the name, Bob Fenner was the longest term general counsel at the National Credit Union Administration. And that's where I got to meet Bob, but he also does some things on field of membership. And I just remember telling, you know, you need to meet this guy named Sam. He's got a lot of really neat ideas about the underserved areas and how credit unions can really take advantage of the federal charter and all that. And I know that at one juncture, that was, it may still be a big part of your business. It is,
0: yeah. No, I mean, I owe eternal debt of gratitude to Bob because he definitely, the thing that we got initial you know, in the startup world, they call it like product market fit, but got real traction with was helping with the membership expansion. And Bob really showed us how to do that. Well, not just from like a understanding the rules and regulations, but how to put the applications together and get approval. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we do, we sort of like three lines of business. One is, and the thing we started with, and actually, candidly, is probably like the smallest part of our business is technology selection and we have like professional services and it really started with field of membership expansion and bob just on a call earlier today with someone you know he can recite the regulations he has everything memorized he knows everything better than anyone i know and so he helped us get that off the ground and yeah that's what gave us the means to continue into other things and now he's also helped us with really helping credit unions attain and retain low income designations right and then from both a combination of he introduced uh, me to terry radigan and we had a couple like shared clients with inclusive and then we learned that a lot like basically underserved areas let's say borrow from a lot of the ideas and actually low income designation to the to borrow from some of the ideas that the CDFI has established, like an underserved area has to meet the same sort of definition as CDFI investment area. And so we had made a bunch of software to do what our chief economist would like to call like regulatory optimization, probably a little bit less buttoned up and would say regulatory hacking, but like identifying how to maximize what's possible within the rules and regulations. And that's where our sort of professional services is really focused on is, yeah, getting bigger fields of membership through sort of creative strategies and same thing for low income designation, same thing for CDFI, same thing for mergers. Yeah. And then the third one, sort of like digital banking to a degree and and data analytics too.
1: Well, and along the lines of the the field of membership, I know you have a lot of articles out there. You got a lot more now that you actually expanded almost like a newsroom that you have too, but we could maybe talk a little bit about that. But there was one of the articles, I think the first time you and I chatted that you might've sent to me, talked about the I don't know if it was the death of the community charter and the segment. I would guess
0: letter. it is that one, but yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: but maybe that would be, you know, for to, if, we, if we're if we going to talk field of membership, maybe let's, let's highlight that concept and then maybe we could move on to some of the other things. But that's a real important, to me, if someone's looking at field of membership, that's kind of a fork in the road that they need to understand that piece. And that'll help them decide, you know, what direction they might want to go.
0: Yeah, that was a strategy that we pioneered that, really helped us offer something that other people can't. And it's sort of, it's the strategy is obviously there for everyone, need software to be able to take advantage of the strategy in most cases. But yeah, most people, very counterintuitive, but basically if you're a federal multiple common bond credit unit in certain markets, primarily the South and Southwest and certain areas, other areas, but you can have what an effect are larger community and like total encompassing the full sort of statistical area. Than what you can get as a community charter, which given the labels of the charters, seems weird. And right. the reason that really is, is because currently community chartered credit unions are a single common bonds. They aren't actually categorized that they are effective. You serve one community as a community chartered credit union. And that community needs to meet one of the different either presumed community. Style, you know, a statistical area, rural district, single political jurisdiction, or you'd have to do a narrative application. Or if it's an area really over it's more than one county, and the market has a total population of over 2.5 million, you'd have to do an open hearing. If you're multiple common bond, you could have an infinite number of employer groups, an infinite number of associations, including you know associations that. Can be passed for people to sort of make themselves eligible. And then you can also have an infinite number of underserved areas. And then with software, I will say when we first ran it, it was going to take our server 50 years to do all the necessary math. So with software, figure out how to draw perfectly crafted underserved areas that fit together like puzzle pieces to cover something that you wouldn't be able to get. As a community like a bigger thing and then you can also go it's a much more flexible charter for mergers and acquisitions for for growth essentially
1: just curiosity on the software side is that was that your background when you started and you were doing that in you know on the front end when you had the startup and you were building these different things was that something that you were actually doing yourself or did you have other folks that were
0: no i'm the worst founder imaginable like if you go to Things they're called like hackathons, or like there's these different places where, and this is what I started doing originally is like going and trying to find a technical person. All my ideas were like software ideas, but yeah, I yeah. am not a developer myself. Uh, so I was like, go out and try and find people. Ended up meeting someone through my mother in law's boyfriend who has started several offshore development firms. And honestly, it was just luck that I found um, the people yeah. we have now. And I think we now have about 40 people on our development team, initially all was in Ukraine. And now with the war, we have offices in Croatia now too. There's like people make fun of founders who have ideas, but don't know how to make them, but figured out how to get it done. Yeah. I think coming from Callahan again, where I was sort of in a role of both sales and account management and product management product strategy and Callahan sort of like main, well, from my perspective, main product is peer-to-peer coming up with that and coming up with new sort of like software features and products for Callahan sort of point sure. But Your
1: appetite towards yeah. understanding it and realizing the importance of it, that's really neat. So, you know, one of the things there's a mutual client that we have that I've had some conversations with that was trying to get CDFI approval. And they were real excited by that piece of software that they had. They were, whatever the stats are, and you know them better than I, to get the certification, they were, let's say, 8% below where they needed to be. And they were real excited because you had the ability to kind of help them, as Wayne Gretzky said, escape where the puck's going, right? You have an ability for them to figure out good strategies. Correct me if if I'm saying this wrong, but good strategies on getting to the statistics that will show that they're meeting the needs of the underserved in their area and then allowing them to become a CDFI so that they can even serve them better because of what that brings along. Maybe that's a good way to do an entry into some of the credit union performance analysis things that I know that that you've been doing.
0: Sure. Yeah. I can. it's a sort of three-part story to a certain degree. So there are little known, but in certain cases, very valuable field of membership benefits from having a low income designation. And probably the most key part there is if you have a low income designation and you're a community chartered credit union, you can have language that includes people who participate in associations headquartered in, which is helpful language to have in your field of membership. And the primary way Credit unions obtain low income designations is through the analysis of their Aries file during their exams. The n runs their Aries file against the low income designation tool. And so we had a few credit unions that were helping that getting a low income designation was really key. Both some of them wanted to use it for non member deposits to buy banks or to have their member business lending cap lifted. But regardless, we had a number of people who wanted to get a low income designation. And so then that's how we started sort of looking at, and it's ultimately like geospatial data analysis and software, but geocoding member files and like, what could we get from that? And so first we've honestly made way too sophisticated a tool to help credit unions get low-income designations. And then I think it was large client of ours in Florida who we showed our sort of field of membership tool and the low-income designation tool. And they're the ones who are like, can you just do this for CDFI for us? And we're like, I think at that point I had never even heard of CDFI. Oh wow. It was like, okay, like let's dig into what this is. And then lo and behold, I was like, like we've already made the software to be CDFI software and we just weren't aware of the CDFI software basically. And really when you're looking at all these things, it's gonna be about basically like data analysis, enrichment, appending data. So it's geocoding, modeling race and ethnicity, modeling in different sort of like statistical methodologies of taking credit union data and being able to make persuasive arguments about what that means about their members. And on the LID side, it's members and on the CDFI side, it's borrowers. But yeah, we've made a bunch of tools that help credit unions sort of like understand if what it would take for them to get CDFI certification or not helps them with recertification. And now we're doing some stuff that we believe will be really impactful for grant writing and both for CDFI, CDRLF, Quite frankly, I think it'll be really helpful for annual reports, advocacy, community development. But we've basically made community impact measurement software. So the thing I'm most excited about is we have made risk-based member benefit calculation down to the actual like individual product that the credit union has provided a single member or rolled up to the member or rolled up in a community. But what we look at is each individual member, what products they have with them, what the balance is, interest rates. And credit score. And then we've partnered with TransUnion. And I think we have about like 20 years of data now. And essentially what we do is like benchmark the risk based pricing for that product against the average bank and then quantify how much more money that member has in their pocket because of their relationship with the credit union or because they got that product from the credit union rather than if they've gone to the average bank to get that product, which for me, and especially coming from like Callahan. So much of the sort of like benchmarking and performance analysis is focused on ratios that in my mind are bank performance or like, let's say broadly, financial institution performance ratios, you know, like net income, growth, ROA. I mean, part of it is definitely like responsible balance sheet management, but a lot of it is also sort of like profit performance metrics. Really, ultimately, I would say growth, like safe growth performance metrics but i think the thing that i believe really quantifying accurately for the first time will allow credit unions to focus on the value they're providing their members you know we're talking to, to a lot of very large credit unions who are like our goal was to get to be 5 billion now we're there are we just going to make it a bigger number? Like,
1: are we just yeah. adding zeros or how do we do more for our members? Exactly. So I
0: think a lot of people, a lot of cradings are run to hit a number that the number that they need to get to, I'm going to ultimately say sort of like survive or have the resources necessary to provide good member services, but then they get there and they're sort of like, okay, how do we measure if we're providing what we're providing our members and if we don't know how to measure that how do we know we're improving at doing that and how do we know if what we're doing is like good relative to other yeah benchmarking their member the value they provide their members to peers yeah so i'm really excited about that because i feel like it can i mean ultimately what i'm interested in doing at the library is having as much impact on americans lives as possible If I can help credit unions be more effective at creating value for their members and in their communities, they can have a multiplying effect. So if I can sort of like change the way credit unions think about the way they run their credit union and can quantify these things, track them. I think basically every credit union I've talked to understands it's like an important, immediately gets the value of knowing these numbers, but they just never had a way to quantify them before. So they didn't even like know if you can't measure it, you know, it's hard to improve or like focus on whether you're doing it well.
1: No, and it goes to the heart of the Federal Credit Union Act and, you know, the purpose of serving people of modest means, right? I mean, it's... And that
0: part is the most interesting to me. I have found (laughs) it that shows that basically, like, it's so funny, but the difference in interest rate between credit unions and banks expands the lower the credit tier. So basically, like, credit unions are much better at providing the value of credit unions. pricing is greatest for the lowest tiers of credit but there aren't a lot of credit unions who know how to properly price risk for lower tiers of credit. And so, I can't say that I have a out of the box solution to solve that problem. I'm sure people have heard of things like, you know, open lending or theorem or, you know, different ways of working with partners that can help them or zest. I think also does that, but like expanding their credit box, to lower tiers of credit, but whether we solve that problem or not, that's the thing that I'm hoping that dealing a lot of this data will help credit unions understand or like, which, yes, I can make a lot of prime auto loans to a plus paper, you know, credit unions, income from that is generally gonna be the smallest margin and they're actually creating the least benefit. So like this is even more of an argument to ethical lending to lower tiers of credit because it's not only more profitable for credit unions, it's not only going to like generate more ultimately capital for them to then make more loans, but also those are the people who they're actually like improving the lives of those people the most.
1: And being able to measure it is something that's crucial, you know, for the tax exempt status of credit unions. I could tell you at my time at NCUA that when the American Banker Association would come out and say, you know, this taxation thing is a ruse and it should go away, NCUA could come up with some statistics, but they can anecdotal stories of really unique credit unions that are doing really neat things with their members. But when it came to, you know, having arsenal of data that shows kind of what you just described, I've never really seen it it put together in a compelling fashion that can, you know, for once and for all, maybe you put the argument about tax exempt status in the background. If you've got a tool that's going to help demonstrate that, I think that's going to be great for, quote unquote, the movement. It's going to be great for individual credit unions. You're going to hit the mark of trying to allow the people in this country who need service be served better. Thank you.
0: Unsurprisingly agree. I mean, like one of the things I'm about to say is I probably have a big ego. But also setting out to be very ambitious and like my goal is to help. It's like the thing I had to have under my name on LinkedIn or whatever. But like help credit unions beat banks. Right. And I have a few ideas that I think will end up I'll be successful with that. And so the advocacy part is a big part of this from my perspective. Like we've built it so that it is scalable for five million dollar credit union to navy. You know, like. It is built right off the Aries file. It is, I'm hoping that it can be sort of, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but like project zip code on steroids so that Lee, you know, advocacy groups can both, credit unions can tell their own story to their representatives, but also, you know, trade advocacy groups could leverage the data to make the case for credit unions sort or of like overall story. Cause I'm sure that there are going to be credit unions who load their data. And it's not going to tell the best story. You know, you could have negative benefit, member benefit. Definitely. It's going to be like the aggregate story that I think will be most compelling. I think there actually are even cases where it's like appropriate to have a negative member benefit, especially if they're like needing to build capital to you need to sort of the way I see like running a credit union is ultimately going to be about like balancing profit or net income against member benefit. Anytime you're making a positive member benefit, you are effectively giving up some amount of profit to the member. It is a form of dividend, essentially. So credit unions in different situations should be managing the balance of member benefit against net income differently. And so I could see some of our clients coming in and being told a story that hopefully would be eye-opening, but might not be something they're exactly eager to put in front of their members or board or, you know, whatever. But well, I think in aggregate, the data will come out to being telling a very positive story. And I think giving the industry wide data. And I think it's important for defending the tax exemption. But also got it. This is a thing that is my own personal issue. And I think there are many cases for establishing partnerships through charitable giving. But I see so many credit unions doing all of this charitable, like huge donations to nonprofits and want them to at least be able to have the data to understand, like, is that nonprofit actually having as positive a social impact as your own credit union? Like, credit should take pride in the fact that they're lending to lower income or subprime borrowers can have a huge change on someone's life. And is, like, I'm not going to name specific nonprofit, but like, is giving to a nonprofit actually the best way to deploy capital to improve the community? I think there will be cases where it's not to actually like put it towards capital and grow more and make more loans.
1: That's fascinating. I would tend to agree with you, you know, as as you're kind of walking through a different sample credit unions popping into my head. And, you know, I always think of the bell curve, right? You probably know this better than I, but the data always kind of seems to lay out in a bell curve. And so you're going to have two or three standard deviations over to one side where people are providing unbelievable benefit to the member and you're going to have the flip side of that you know maybe where they're not providing as much benefit and they think they are but the stats might show that in reality they're not and then there's that big chunk in the middle it's easier to move one way or the other it's hard to go from the the left end of the bell curve to the right end of the bell curve but but just having access to that data provides them the context so that they can build a better strategic plan. They can do better risk management relative to that. They can really kind of look at, you know, what it is long-term they're trying to achieve.
0: Yep. A hundred percent. You see, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I think, let me first say, I love credit unions. Credit unions, I do see as like the part of the reason I love credit unions that I dedicating my life ultimately to credit unions is because I think they can have such a positive impact on yeah, the community they serve that, you know, there's this whole thing of KPIs, basically like the things that you track and measure, you run your organization to optimize those things that you like focused on. Yeah. This is a piece of information that credit unions need to know to properly run their credit union. Because if all of the formulas that you're tracking are the same statistics that a bank would track, you're going to behave like a bank in the end, you know, and so I think that. I'm hoping that it will really, it's long-term view here, but like sort of change the culture and by tracking different numbers. And I think a number that in particular will like really accurately quantify what it means to be successful as a credit union will drive more credit unions to embody what I think everyone As an industry, I think ratings do, but like on a more individual case by case.
1: Yeah. Again, if you don't measure it or you're measuring the wrong thing, you don't really know what you might be missing. And it's
0: no fault of anyone's. Like, yeah, if there's no way to measure it, how you
1: can't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You go back to those anecdotal stories as opposed (laughs) to raw numbers and things like that. So Sam, I've got your website up in front of me and under the software tab, looks like one, two, three. There's six choices. You got expand CU, join CU, business development software, FOM eligibility API, and discover CU. So the ones that we've kind of been talking about right now is that a seventh one that's going to be added to this, or is that that's
0: a- actually analyze CU? So analyze CU is ultimately like a data analytics platform and consortium where credit unions load their Aries files and encrypt it. And we do like a LID so we can, credit unions can track their low income designation, track, it does like a CDFI analysis. We use a Bayesian improved first name, surname, models, all this demographic data for their members. So we can tell them like race, income, educational attainment, what industries they work commute time, how people, anyway, all this crazy data sort of like claritas type data if people are familiar with that the thing that is sort of most new is this community impact piece that quantifies that member benefit jobs created, sustained contribution to gdp what percentage of loans are made to rural areas economic all these things and then you can like segment it by community and it will tell you what your impact is in different communities so you can do a whole bunch of different things in the long term We'll be using the data consortium for benchmarking and predictive modeling. So we're working on a thing right now to do like branch predictive modeling. We've got a couple clients who have come to us and we have this branch and it's not performing and this is never what they want to hear. But you can just like look at where the branch is on a map and you can be like, I don't even need to do a data analysis to know that this branch is just not in a place where it will ever be successful. There's never enough for a credit union to hear. Just be like, it's in the wrong place without like deeply doing a deep, Data analysis on it, so that's essentially what we're trying to do at scale. Which is just um, we're looking at data back to 1994, and then it will be able to project number of members by product and dollar amount by product by branch, and give them sort of like if this was run by the a branch manager in the top one percent of sort of performance. What will this do each month over the next 12 months? Or if it was run by the worst manager, branch manager in the world, what would be be done? And sort of like give them a reasonable forecast of, quite frankly, for setting sort of like goals for branch managers, but also understanding if this was run perfectly over the next five years, is it even going to turn into a thing that part of it is helping branch optimization to understand is this branch helping us or not? And then the other software that you mentioned is ultimately the digital banking stuff, which is mostly focused on acquisition. And when I was alluding to earlier, like I have some stuff that I think will help credit unions ultimately beat banks. It's tied to the digital banking stuff, just removing the friction of finding credit union offers finding and joining. So we have like, we have the database of every credit union field of membership and have made elegant field of membership decisioning engine, which basically just means with very little data, I can find out all the credit unions that a consumer is eligible to join. And then the long-term vision for that is to present credit union offers, sort of like embedded finance, so like present credit union offers everywhere because, and actually tying it back to the earlier part, basically like low income, the people who credit unions benefit the most tend to spend the least time price shopping and like finding the best offer there. They tend to go with sort of like whatever's put in front of them. And generally the people who find credit unions are either a legacy relationship or the people who are really seeking them out are like aggressive price shoppers who tend to be high income, you know, a paper. And so... What we're trying to do is sort of fix the structural problems so that we can present credit union offers
1: everywhere, essentially. That's exciting. I'm trying to do a lot, but yeah. A little, a lot, you've got a lot going on. You A lot going on. You're an idea man, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Sometimes to the chagrin of my colleagues, I think in our last strategic planning, they were like, one thing we can agree, no more ideas from Sam. Let's execute on these ones first.
1: But well, anyway. You know, we are who we are. There's, what is it, strength finders where you can do that test and it, it gives you five strengths that I've taken that a couple of times and mine have migrated a little bit, but I think four of the five are still the same person that I was 25 years ago when I first took that test. And, and you got to play to those strengths, right? You can make your weaknesses a little bit better. But you can make your strengths a lot better that's
0: one of the mistakes i made early on was not realizing that basically is like i would and then both like out of necessity i did a lot of stuff that are not my strengths but i mean the biggest thing that changed the trajectory from like human from a hiring perspective is when i brought on chris tissue who i am like yeah god i hate using this term but i think it's probably accurate at this point but like like the idea person and he is such a good executor. So like, I can be like, okay, here's the thing. And then he can, that's yeah, done. <laughs> he can get it
1: done, get yeah, it done yeah. Yeah. and have that checklist and all the wisdom of crowds in surrounding yourself with people that can allow you to kind of achieve the mission that you so eloquently described here. So yeah, Sam, this has been fun. So if there's a question I haven't asked you that I should have asked you, what would that be? I have one idea
0: that I think will capture dramatic market share for credit unions, which is, it's ultimately a partnership between healthcare, like hospital systems, health systems, and credit unions that is focused on making healthcare more affordable and essentially presenting credit union offers to all patients. It's so funny. My wife works in healthcare. And the way I came up with this idea was actually listening in on one of her work calls. that They were really focused on essentially like the exact things like the CDFIs Mm -hmm. and really what I would say is they're like CDFI credit unions are so focused on, which is ultimately like creating now the idea would be like healthier, wealthier and more equitable communities, but like greater outcomes for exactly like the CDFI target population. So like low income people and minority groups who generally have much worse health outcomes And obviously, I see credit unions as incredible organization to help people with those problems. So got to think about how credit unions could work with hospitals to do that. And I think I've come up with a very, I'll I'll just say what it is, basically like debt refinancing at the point of bill pay. So a patient goes into a healthcare provider. The healthcare provider allows an agent of the healthcare provider, in this case, this QSO that we're launching to run a prequel, like a soft pull of their credit we can then identify what loans they have with who and you can model and figure out like what their monthly payment is. And then we can run them through our field of membership decision engine and ultimately like underwriting decision engine and figure out what credit unions would offer to refinance that person's debt at a lower interest rate. And like how much so really what we're looking to do is like how much can we save them a month on their other bills to make their medical bill more manageable to pay because if they can't pay their medical bill, then they generally don't do other preventative care. So they won't see specialists. They won't fill prescriptions. They won't come and seek additional preventative care after going and seeing a doctor. And the average unpaid medical bill is like $310. And the average consumer who carries debt Like consumer debt would save about six hundred dollars over a two-year period. So, like a large percentage of people will essentially like make money, can't actually save money, but like their savings that we would identify would outweigh the actual medical bill that they're struggling to pay. And the thing that credit unions will care about a lot beyond just sort of like the social benefits is like ninety percent of people go through a health system each year, and so hospitals are terrible accounts receivable and collections, and so we could take that off their plate. And part of the cost of doing that, like basically like hospitals will be paying to market credit union offers to basically the whole country. I've talked to a healthcare V, and they were like, it's rare that anyone brings a top five problem for health systems. And this is definitely top five, if not the number one problem that health systems are facing because of like Medicare, Medicaid, like the social safety net is sort of going away and hospitals are really struggling to figure out How they're going to get paid for the services they're doing. If credit unions can help hospitals collect more from the patient portion of bills, it will make a big difference to healthcare. And through the Affordable Care Act, hospital, like what hospitals get from like federal subsidies is determined on their outcomes. So if it actually does have the impact of changing the health outcomes of their patients, that will be even have like greater multiplying for healthcare providers. It's super excited about it. And I've already recruited an incredible guy to CEO of company too. I'm the credit union guy. It's going to be a product that we're selling to health systems. So the whole team will be like, it'll be a healthcare facing company. And then the sort of special sauce on the back end is credit unions, essentially.
1: I think I heard you on the front end, you said it's a credit union service organization structure. Yeah,
0: definitely. Like this is, I bootstrap CU Collaborate, but Sure, I'm not going to bootstrap another company. We're raising capital for that
1: one. Understood. Understood. You know, I've, I've got a daughter who's a physician and, and occasionally share some stories without, you know, going into any specifics. But the, one of the things I heard you say was if they go in and, and they don't have the ability to go in for the follow-ups, they don't succeed. And there are people who have all the money in the world who don't want to go back in and do the follow-ups, don't want to do what the doctor tells them. But if you put somebody behind the eight ball where they have to decide whether or not they're going to feed their kids or go in for that follow-up exam, their success erodes underneath their feet because they'd go if they had the opportunity. So I think that's an exciting venture you got going there.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited about that. That's like the biggest picture... Idea we're working on right now. I think that could really change a lot.
1: Huge impact there. That's exciting. So, Sam, if someone has listened to this, I know you, you have a lot of people, you have a lot of contacts out there, but if someone is has heard of you before and they're going, hey, this discussion on this podcast makes me want to reach out to Sam or see you collaborate, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you or see you collaborate? Go to cucollaborate.com.
0: Probably is the first answer. Our phone number is 202 831. 2500, zero, zero, but like, yeah, go, go to cucollaborate.com, connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot us an email. I think our sort of general email, I think is sales at cucollaborate.com. I should really know that off the top of my head. But yeah, if you come to cucollaborate.com and fill out a form, someone will contact you and our contact information is on the website.
1: That's great. Sam, this has been a lot of fun. I, you know, every time we chat, I learn a little bit more about what it is you've got going on and, and you've got a lot going on. You've got a lot of really good ideas. You're making tons of progress on helping credit unions. And then, of course, this whole health care arena is a very challenging but interesting nut to try and crack. And I, I wish you luck relative to that. But I want to thank you for your time and to hear today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. You bet. And so this is Mark Treichel signing off with another episode of With Flying Colors. I appreciate the audience's time and I hope you'll listen to this and every week's episode. Thanks for listening and thanks for your time.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips
1: on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com.